God, our Father, the one you sent your Son to be with us, the one you sent to be the King of kings and the Prince of peace. We pray, O oh God, that you will grant all the kingdoms of this world to become the kingdom of Christ. Help us to learn the way of peace from the baby of Bethlehem. Send your spirit of goodwill and reconciliation to your world, O oh Lord. The body of Christ came to be with us through a child who was born in a stable to peasant parents. But now the only body that you have on earth is our bodies. The only hands you have on earth would be our hands. The only feet that you would have on earth would be our feet. Our eyes are the eyes that you use to look upon our world with compassion. And our feet are the feet that you use to go into the world to do good. Our hands are the hands that you use to bless the world that is around us. Make our lives a blessing to the world, O oh Lord. Visit us through your Holy Spirit. Fill our souls with your presence. Inspire our decisions. Pervade our imaginations. Be with us in our silence and in the noise of the world. And give us the grace to rejoice in the mystery that is Christmas. This is a day that you have given us, O oh God. For some it is a day of joy and wonder and, and hope. And for others, it is a joy. It is a day of sadness, a day when they do not know what tomorrow is going to be like or how they are going to put one foot in front of the other. Make us your voice of hope to them, O oh Lord. Make us your hands that reach out in compassion to, to draw them close and help them to know that they will never be alone in the struggles of life that we are with them because you are with us and you will never be apart from them. Help us to be a reminder of the presence of the spirit of Christmas that is your son. Help us, Lord, to come into this place tonight with open hearts and open minds. Help us to come into this place expecting to experience your presence expecting to experience your spirit, expecting to experience the birth of Christ again into our lives and help us to know that in you there is this day and every day the gift of life and we are the ones who are called to proclaim that gift by the way we live, by the things we say, and by the opportunities that present themselves to us. Make us, O oh Lord, your life to the world by living within us through the power of the Holy Spirit and help us to know your love and your grace this day and every day so that the spirit of Christmas might live within. For it is in your name we offer our prayer. Amen. Our scripture tonight comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. 
Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward all people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The great composer George Frederick Handel had wanted originally to be a writer of opera, and for a time he did, until the market bottomed out, and he found himself living in Italy, uh, living hand to mouth, And so Handel moves to London, where he took to writing oratorios, which on the whole were not much more effective at keeping him out of poverty. So at the point of despair, someone handed him a religious text uh, intended for a musical drama. It focused on the writings of the prophet Isaiah and other Old Testament prophets, Handel was inspired, and he began to write, and he instructed his landlady to to leave him alone until he had completed his work. And for days in a row, Handel did nothing but write music. And when he was finally done, he emerged from his study, having, having written The Messiah, and he was heard to say, I did think I saw the heavens open and the very glory of God indeed appear to me. Well, our scripture lesson began with the familiar words to all of us. The shepherds were abiding in their fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Well, what is this glory? that the shepherds saw and that Luke writes of so eloquently. No glory is one of those biblical words we use often, but it's difficult for us to explain exactly what it is. What is glory? And what does it mean to see God's glory? Furthermore, how is it that we can glorify God since presumably Presumably, we can hardly add anything of substance to such an inherently glorious being. The Westminster Catechism teaches that man's chief end is to glorify God. So if that is our primary purpose as believers, then how do we do it? How do we glorify God? Well, the Hebrew word for glory is kabod which actually has its root meaning weightiness or heaviness or significance. It came to be associated with the idea of the the bright and shining presence that was perceived when God manifested himself to human beings. You may remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, his face was said to be shining with the glory of God. It came to be called the Shekinah, and it was said to radiate from the Ark of the Covenant. And the Greek word for glory is doxa, 
It means to have a good opinion of or to acknowledge a person's true worth. When you acknowledge a person's true worth, which is also another way of saying that you express a proper opinion of him or her, you may be said to be glorifying them, giving them the praise and the honor they deserve. And this is the sense in which we glorify God. Moreover, since acknowledging his true worth is the essential meaning of worship, to glorify God is to worship him. Worship, in that sense, is a doxology, which means to express a right opinion of God. Hence, we have the doxology, a song or a liturgy giving glory or praise to God. You know, in my previous church, we sang the Gloria Patri each week following the invocation. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. And here at Church on Main, we sing the doxology following the gathering of tithes and offerings. Y'all know the doxology by heart? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Are y'all going to sing? <laughs> all right. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. So be it. You know, it really, it's really striking how different, uh, uh, different all this is to the modern notions of glory. You know, our modern definition of glory is akin to seeing something that we want and going out and taking it or winning it. Glory today has more to do with human achievement. It's seen as something to, to be grasped with uh, both hands because, you know, as we say, we only go around once in life. We must grab with all the gusto. Our world is filled with glory grabbers rather than glory givers. Now that great theologian, Bruce Springsteen, he sings a song called Glory Days. It's about running into a friend of his who was a star baseball player back in high school. And Springsteen sings, he could throw a speedball by you and make you look like a fool. He and his friend, they would go and they would sit in a bar and they would talk about the days gone by, trying to recapture the glory years. That's kind of sad when you think about it, in a way. But you know, sometimes we do that in churches as well, don't we? We sometimes sit around and talk about the glory years. And somehow there's a disconnect between human conceptions of glory and what the Bible is talking about when it speaks of glory. Worship is about glorifying God. Worship is about beholding God in all of His glory to behold him is to see him in all of his splendor, to, to fall down before him, to worship him and acknowledge that he alone is God. In worship, we are responding to the almighty and everlasting God who is transcendent 
the God who pervades the limitless universe. We worship a God who is wholly other, the almighty creator, the holy one, the king and ruler of all. His holiness is so infinitely full of splendor that we, will, we want our worship to be full of splendor, full of praise for God. True worship is a recognition that the one before we stand is the almighty God and, and giving him the glory he deserves. If we're not careful, however, we can disregard the one thing that is most important in the worship experience. Instead of focusing upon God, we can focus upon ourselves. Did I like the hymns? Did I like the choir anthem? Did I think the sermon was good? Did I think the prayers were well said? But any emphasis on what we get out of worship displaces God as the center and the focal point of our worship. Worship is not entertainment. Worship is not a variety show. Worship is not a substitute for Bible study. Worship is not a security blanket. It's not for sermon tasting and music critiquing. Worship is not a means to an end. We do not worship to feel good, to experience pleasure, to ease our consciences, to impress our neighbor, to grow a church, to please a parent or a spouse. Worship is not about us. We worship God purely for the sake of worshiping God. Worship is about glorifying God. Worship is God-focused. It's not me-focused or self-focused. Worship directed away from God is idolatry. To focus upon ourselves is vanity. To focus upon God and glorifying Him is true worship. There was a 4th century bishop by the name of John Chrysostom he was uh, called the golden tongue because he was an eloquent preacher. He wrote about the audacity of those who would substitute something else for worship. He says, we insult God when we do not recognize him in his transcendent majesty. What are the angels? Do they reason about the nature of God? No, they fall down and they worship him with great trembling if these creatures of heaven live before God in an unceasing posture of praise and adoration, how can we mortal beings act lightly and imprudently before him in worship? Chrysostom's point is well taken. If we're not careful, we can be almost nonchalant about worship. If the focus is on ourselves, we will be nonchalant about worship. The aware of God, awareness of God's transcendence demands that we recover a sense of majest, the majesty of God in our worship services. Listen to some of these scriptures that glorify God. They point to his transcendence and his majesty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his holy temple. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Worship is not complete without beholding God, without seeing and experiencing the greatness of his power and love. And then once we have beheld God, we're in a position then to listen to him. When we behold God, he prepares us to to listen to his voice, to direct our paths, to, to lead us into his loving will for our lives. But more than that, God wants us to internalize him to take him into ourselves, into our mind, into our souls, into our spirits, into our wills. He desires to have us so in tune with his mercy, his love and faithfulness that our lives, our thoughts, and our actions will be constant and consistent witnesses to his overwhelming power in our lives. Worship is the most important thing that we need And especially what we need is to glorify God revealed in scriptures and to be transformed by our encounter with him. You know, according to Luke, the first ones on the scene other than the Holy Family when Jesus was born were the shepherds. They had a rather remarkable night, to say the least. Angels appeared to them while they were minding their own business, tending their flocks. These angels announced the birth of Jesus. But the text also stresses that as they did, they were glorifying God, saying that the highest glory of praise should be given to God. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men. And when the angels had gone away, the shepherds went straightway to Bethlehem, and they found Joseph and Mary and the baby as he lay in the manger. And then they left. And what was their response? Luke says they went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. So as we enter into this season of Advent, into preparing our hearts and minds for Christmas and the celebration of Jesus' coming. I hope that we will follow the examples of these shepherds 2,000 years ago who responded to their encounter with the Christ child by glorifying and praising God. You know, there's a Christmas carol called In the Bleak Midwinter. The words were written by Christina Rossetti, and it concludes with these words, What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. 
But what can I give him? I give him my heart. How can we best glorify God this Advent season? There is perhaps no more glorious thing we can do, nor a better way to glorify God than to give ourselves to Christ who awaits us with open arms. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. I ask you to join with me in our prayer of confession. Oh God, you give us your good news and calls us into new covenant relationship with you. Help us to prepare the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Draw us away from degrading thoughts and actions and lift from us worry and anxiety. End our pride and take away our arrogance. Save us from false hope and unwarranted presumption. Forgive our sin and pardon our wrongdoing. Defeat evil and overcome the power of death. Help us grow in understanding and give us wisdom to discern that which is good and true. And our assurance of pardon. The good news of this Advent season is that Jesus, the long-expected Savior, was born to set us free and release us from our fears and our sins and help us to find rest in Him. You remain standing for our Advent blessing, but before I, I share that, I want to remind you we're having a fellowship meal down the <coughs> fellowship hall. I believe it's grilled cheese sandwiches and, and soup, so I invite you to come for that. Uh, following the meal, our intercessory prayer team is meeting in the parlor. If any uh, folks would like to, to join them, they've been meeting on Zoom, and they're going to meet in person during the Advent season, so we invite you to be a part of that. Well, now as we depart this place, may the joy of the angels, the eagerness of the shepherds, the perseverance of the magi, the obedience of Joseph and Mary, and the peace of the Christ child be yours this Christmas. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. Amen.